Welcome back to Lily High on Life. And we have a fabulous guest this week, someone that I knew from many, many years ago. And I was shocked to find out that he's even busier now than he's ever been. And he's around my age, maybe a little bit older, but I want you to welcome, uh, say hi to Izzy Dye. Oh, hi, Phil. Look, I tell you what, we can say I'm a lot older than you, but that's okay. <laughs> But you know what? Yes, it's I'm not about the age, it's course. about the energy level. And that's attitude, really... Attitude. Attitude and energy level. And that's really why I've got you in today's studio. So tell me about what you're doing now. Look, I'm doing... I'm probably living the dream now because... When Sorry, Izzy, for those that don't know, oh, I've, yes. everybody, I've just assumed everybody knows you, but Izzy Dye is one of the consummate entertainment people in Melbourne, Australia. He used to be all over television and concerts and everywhere else, and now he really is still the concerts. So an entertainer and a singer, yep. now please tell okay, us thanks what so. you're well, doing. As I said, I'm living the dream now because uh, when I first started back in uh, mid-60s, I would never have dreamed then when I was 18 that uh, I was ever going to have a, a longevity of you know over 55 years or something in show business. Uh, I thought it was going to be a short-term thing, like most entertainers, short-term, and then after a few years, you know, you go back to a real job. And uh, of course, um, I've had many varied things in the entertainment business that I've done, which I'll explain a bit later on, but going back, but uh, finishing what I'm doing at the moment, in the last uh, sort of, let's call it the last five to ten years, I've been much more uh, live performances, travelling around the country, wherever, in the UK and everything, and doing the different shows. But remember, I, as a typical entertainer, um, reinvention is a big thing and continuing to reinvent my career is probably what's kept me going because if I was just doing the same old every week not saying that we don't love singing the same songs but same old every week it would probably be boring both for the audience and me but because I'm able to do different genres of the music and makes it keeps it fresh for me um, and uh, obviously um, it gives me a chance to do different entertainment of course, and you are doing very very different entertainers, <laughs> from Al Jolson to Elvis Presley. Yeah, so you couldn't make, you know, people say that Al Jolson to Elvis, but you know, in actual fact, they had a big connection. Al Jolson and, and Al Jolson and Elvis Presley had a huge connection. In fact, in 1949, Elvis, uh, well, Al Jolson had a hit with a song called Are You, are you Lonesome Tonight? And... Um, that was like a 1940 song. And Al Jolson wrote did. that. No, he didn't write it. He sang, sang it. Sang it. Yep, he sang it, and uh, it was the, it was the year that he recorded the Jolson sings again. He'd already done the Jolson story in '46, and then Jolson sings again in 1949. He also recorded "Are You Lonesome Tonight," and then a few years later, Elvis talked about that. Wow, and. Um was so and just a quick plug you're doing your Jolson famous Jolson story I Look, again I, I don't do the Jolson show very often now I find that uh, probably because our audiences are, are very old our audiences are pretty old and uh, which is fair enough because the Jolson was I remember a century ago and so consequently I'm doing less of the Jolson now that I ever used to but I used to love doing it I must have done a couple of thousand performances of it but so October October 12th so if anyone is listening out there 
Saturday night. It's okay, it's after Shabbos, so that's okay. Saturday night, the 12th of October, at a, a place called the Club Voltaire, which is a small theatre-type club in, in North Melbourne. So, uh, again, a nice place to go and enjoy an intimate concert going back to the days of the 20s. And I'll pop that up on my Facebook Thank as you. well. Thank you. And I respect you there in the front row, Lil. I've already got my tickets. Oh, good, and okay. they are in the front oh, row. Oh, well, oh, my God. So, I, listen, listeners, I'm under pressure with her now, you know. That. <laughs> no, but look, it's, that, look it's, it's one of those things where it's nice to have that show because most of the shows I've been doing of the Jolson have been in big clubs and theatres and all that and uh, you know you, you, you don't really know anyone in there you do it but it's in an intimate atmosphere I'm, I'm seeing a lot of people that want to come are people that are friends and family small and I guess it'll be a much more of a, of a um, in your face type show much well, more not only is Al Jolson one of my very very favourite movies entertainers oh, yes. everything but I'm a fully paid member oh, of wow. the Al Jolson club oh the society the Al Jolson the society Al- Jolson Society. Oh, wow, that's fantastic. Well, actually, I, I, uh, I had a, a chat to some people in America once about going to do some of the Jolson, but they did have a few guys over there <clears throat> that did the blackface Jolson. This was years ago and did it. But fortunately, the Jolson Society in England, in the UK, I was lucky enough to meet up with them and they did organise it. And I went over and I've been over and done uh, half a dozen different theatres around England uh, with the Jolson story. So that, that part keeps me doing it over there. But at the same time, they don't know me there. They only know Al Jolson, and, and the music is what lives on. Yeah, and he's so politically uncorrect. Oh, yes, I that's right. It. Well, I have to do the it. white face now because <laughs> it, is, it is politically uncorrect, you're right. But uh, I must admit it was disappointing in those days when I had to change from the black face it's to the white, the white face. face. But the, the, the people of today, I don't want to offend anyone. And in the end, even though you can't change history, uh, in the end we don't want to upset anyone. How do you anyone. feel about people that are offended by that? Well... Uh, the people that I do the show for, they're, they're completely not offended. They would they say to me, look, why can't you put the face on? We want the, the history of the Jolson. But I said, look, there are people out there, there are some people out there, whoever they might be, that probably don't even give a damn about Jolson, but uh, they just don't like the idea of a white Jewish boy putting on a black face, singing about just it. Like a Jolson. Black, sitting about a Jolson. Well, that's right. But you can't change history. That's yeah. what I, I keep saying to people. You can't change history. And people and, and, had gollywogs. Well, I'll say this. How often do they play the Jolson story on TV? At least once a month. Somewhere. Oh, yes. But how come they're allowed to do that? Mum and I watch it all Thank the time. Thank you. But why are they allowed to do that? They're allowed to do it. They, they're, not, they're, they're, not get, they're not getting protests about that movie. The movies. People, it's, that's a history thing. It's like watching Ben-Hur or watching the sound of music or watching you know anything from the back in the 20s and 30s when people had completely different idea on life they still allow the movie to be played but a person on stage that has the choice instantly of putting the face on obviously that's a negative so we don't want that so is <clears throat> you're doing like 150 to 200 shows a year yeah. and you're also exercising every morning. Well, as many mornings, I, I, I'll take that, listeners, every morning that I can. I mean, like this morning, for example, because when I do an early morning show, you know, like a 10 o'clock show, 11 o'clock show, no, it's too early for me, but uh, most days when I'm what not performing. What goes on in your head? What motivates you to keep taking that many gigs and uh, to keep exercising? I think, I think it's probably a, both, a bit of both fear of, of the unknown and fear of, of, of not being wanted. 
wanted, and, and at the same time, the thrill of being able to do it. Because so you, really you can do it, you do it. You know what I mean? It's one of those things. It's a, I guess it's um, uh, one of those things which you don't really know why you do something, but if you keep, if you enjoy it, I, mean, I must admit that I enjoy hosting in front of people and singing and, and looking at their faces and telling stories and watching their reactions and come back on, especially when I'm doing theatre shows and it keeps that keeps motivating you because at the same time, you know, you do know that uh, you've got you to keep your audience happy. And you're actually creating, you come up with these shows mm. and you have somebody you work with that gets you the gigs to do them. No, I, I, do, I get the gigs. You get yeah, your yes, gigs I do it. I, I, I absolutely, look, I do work with a lot of agents around the country but most of the jobs uh, most of the gigs are people that know me and I, I speak to them directly and it, I guess look that's it, it's not so much a matter of a choice but it's been through the, uh, by me being always the man on the phone and being able to I'm, 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 I can cold call people pretty easily and um, it's made me uh, I guess plenty of shoe leather walking around getting and, and it, you know once again if you've got a good reputation and you do well with your shows not every show goes well but if you do well in most of your shows, you get invited back or you negotiate to come back and so it becomes like a self a self-organising thing. And are you entertaining yourself as well? Yeah, I think I do. Although... Sometimes, you know, when you're there doing your shows, you realise, you say to yourself, look, today really, it uh, doesn't matter how badly I'm feeling, you've know, got the audience in there and they're paying or, or they're watching and you've got to drive along and, and, and do the, there's no, you know, you've got to keep going. It's like uh, you don't stop the show. But you sometimes you feel not very good and you still, <laughs> you still do it. I mean, going. especially on the days when you might feel sick. You know, and you yeah. think, oh, my God, I'm feeling sick today. But the How music and the momentum. Well, I and think it's just the momentum and, and also knowing you don't want to let people down. I yeah. think that's that's probably what it is. I, I'm always a stickler. I, I say to people, look, I, I'd have to be almost dead not to go, you know, not to be performing. If I was, look, I was, I was really sick and I wasn't going to, you know, I don't want to cause the audience to be, you know, as sick as me, then obviously I would take, I, I wouldn't turn up. But I would let them know. However... Touch wood, it hasn't happened very often. Very rarely, I'd have to be almost dying. <laughs> I guess, oh, no, that's fine. That's Is there a period you went through? Because you had a very, very active um, younger years too. When yeah, you did. got into the business, you were every. You actually studied engineering. I did, but you um, you went into music. Tell us about. Well, that. it was a strange thing. I mean, even when I was doing engineering, uh, I realised then, I, and I was doing a lot of Jewish dances because my father was uh, one of the singers at, at the main one at the choir at the synagogue in Turak Turak uh, Turak Road and so every every weekend when I was at school I would go to the shul and I would in a daven and I would sing in the choir so I got the, I got used to working in front of people singing in front of people sort of like the Jolson thing it's a bit, pretty similar <laughs> but I got it was it, it did give me a good step because it made me fearless oh there's people in the audience and I know them and but I can sing to them it's no worry so all of a sudden that, when that was I was 8, 9, 10, 11 by the time I was about 12, 13 I would go to a few Jewish dances and I would sing a couple of songs, you know, or oh, when the saints go marching in, you know, all those funny songs. But, you know, in those days, that was the hit songs, you know, so they, I said, oh, okay. So I, I would sing along with a band and, and you know, I would be cheeky and I would get up and do a couple of songs, not dreaming that that would be something I would do 
And then, of course, by the time school finished, I was already starting to perform in dances for, you know, for a couple of shillings or something like that. And, of course, my father said, well, you really, singing's a great thing because I'm doing it at the synagogue, but you're never going to earn a living from it. So, yeah, which is fair enough. Why, why would you think any other way? We came from the Holocaust. You wouldn't think of that. So, um, you know, he just suggested that it would be better if I did study. So I decided I would do a couple of years of civil engineering, which I did okay, but really it wasn't my cup of tea. How did you get into getting your own gigs at that time? Oh, look, it was difficult, though. A few people would ring up and say, oh, we saw you singing there. Would you want to come and sing here? So, you know, you, you sort of, it's, it's network as well. I love that yes, song. Yes, tell it's me. probably one of my favourite Al Jolson songs. But uh, I remember when, when I was young, my father played the Al Jolson music um, at home. But I never thought about it because it was like, Al Jolson, who the hell is he? Is that old guy from back then? I, I was interested in Paul Anker, the Everly Brothers, the Beatles, all that. I wasn't interested in Al Jolson. That was just like that, that old people's music. And I didn't, had little oh. did I. No, well, it was, but little did I realise what an impact it made and how over the years I've learned these songs. I thought, these songs are amazing, you know, and of course... My, when my career took a bit of a nosedive after the um, my pop star days, yes, in, in how the, did that well, all probably happen? the mid seventies. By, by by eight or nine years of the uh, of the television, uh, eight or nine years of doing live TV and all the big shows, the happening seventies and the Don Lane Show and all those programs going all over the country with them it was fantastic. But like anything else, the seventies was started to become more disco. So the disco scene was huge, and entertainers like me, which were more live shows. We're on the outer. We would get our shows, but instead of having, you know, three a week, we, we might have three a month, and you couldn't live off that. Did so, you go into panic mode or did no, you? No, not really, because I, re- I realised pretty quickly that uh, if I was going to do something uh, that to give me longevity, I'd have to do TV, and I watched some of the other television programmes. I used to watch uh, a guy called Deadly Ernest who did a late night on Channel 10. He was like a ghoul-type thing, and he would, he would do just... He would just sort of do talk ghoulish things and, and wear uh, those Dracula-type costumes or whatever he did and, and then introduce a movie. But I thought, hang on, I could extend on that. I can make it so that I can have chats with interesting entertainers in between the commercial breaks, like, for example, Johnny O'Keefe would come in or Johnny Farnham or or, uh, um, John Michael Howson or any of the TV stars of the day would pop in to Channel 9, and I had that from 1976, so from 76 to 83 or whatever it was, and in those years I was able to do a lot of television commercials, so I sort of learned to become a television presenter. So I would present... A movie, I would talk about product, commercials, and I would also interview an artist like you might come in and I'd chat to you. So it gave me a whole new longevity, a whole and different genre. So you were able to see an opportunity, present it and make it happen. Well, there was no television finished at midnight. And I thought, and I went into Channel 9 and I said, look, if you let me take it till three o'clock in the morning, I will buy the commercial space and work out a way to uh, to have that um, make it profitable. But at the same time, continue the station after midnight 
In fact, we used to call our show Izzy Dies just after midnight on Channel 9, and that went for years. And uh, I had so many hundreds of thousands of people that have come up to me over the last 40 years and say, we used to watch you. So I used to think, who's watching at midnight and 1 o'clock in the morning? But it was amazing. <laughs> Lots of crazy people. Well, there was a two, all of the all of the shift working. You don't realise how many people work, you know, whether it's airline people or people involved in overnight things. They come home, they come home at 1 o'clock in the morning and they're wide awake and they want to watch for two or three hours. Instead of turning TV off and just listening to music or putting a video on, they could watch a live show. And when I say live, I would have a movie on, I would talk live to people, I'd talk about commercials, I might talk about uh, the dancers or who's on at the rock and roll. So it became like an infomercial type program and was, it was the beginning of it. It was, was actually it, the beginning of the, of the infomercials. Of in infomercials. Yep. And was it a tough sell or they said, oh, okay. Very tough sell. But, but when, when, when I realized, once I got a few of my friends on board to sort of say, well, come on, let's support no, us. No, no, but for the management to say yes to you was... Oh, it was a tough sell because they said to me, well, why should we have you running something all night, you know? And I say, well, there's nothing else running all night. All I want is one producer and a, the camera guy and a producer and me. That's all we needed. So we had a three-man staff overnight that's it and so consequently it was and by keeping your costs down and me doing all of it doing the commercials selling the commercials presenting the commercials talking to individuals bringing them in for interviews you know um, organising the movies with them it, it became like I was a man for all seasons so they didn't pay you you got went out there and got your own that's revenues. right oh no they didn't pay me oh no no I got them out and, but I was on a typical sales commission just the same as everyone else would be As a, but the difference was that with my commission I was able to work you know made it show busy. So it wasn't like I was just selling an ad and that's running. I mean, I might do an ad, for example, for some of the biggest nightclubs in Melbourne, discos and clubs. So if someone had a disco at Chasers or somewhere down there, they would say, look, that's a good idea. We've got a club that runs till three o'clock in the morning. We could put an ad on with Dizzy Die, and he can say, oh, down at the Chasers or down at the centre, this is on tonight or tomorrow night. You know, so-and-so is on there. So all of a sudden, they weren't paying a lot, but longevity was the thing they were stay once they were in they would stay for the whole year and I would I would be able to promote them all the time and sometimes they would hire me to come down was to that over profitable for you oh yes Oh, absolutely. It was, I, I bought a house out of it. <laughs> so that was really profitable. But no, it took years. And remember, I did work seven days a week. And, and it made was it, very cool. Oh, it was yeah. seven days a week. Oh, well, it was seven days a week organising and yes, one day a week or two on. So, you know, there was, it was like, let's just say, you never have a holiday in showbiz. But remember, these were the years when my I was doing very little singing only occasionally I would do sure I kept myself going sing a few songs here and there you know as I said once or twice a month or something but whereas I was coming from a, a situation where I was doing three or four a week all of a sudden you know doing all this other stuff meant that that, that kept me busy and it sounds like it was so much fun. Oh, it was a lot of fun absolutely a lot of, and I met hundreds of thousands of people who I still know today which is I loved it you know and so many people as I said I've even met people come up to me wherever I do shows and say we used to watch you on late night oh you very cool be, yeah. so that was sort of cool but in saying that it still meant that I still had to make it a successful business but at the same time I realised that that also was never going to last because once once the TV stations realised and this was all over the country once 
once the TV stations realised that there was profit in late night movies and TV, and nowadays it costs more, sorry, it costs as much almost to have a late night movie commercial as it would have one at 10 o'clock at night. People are watching all over the country 24-7. So in those days, we were able to sell commercials for very cheap, $5, just to keep people going and they would do that would be on all the time today it's hundreds of dollars so you can see that in the end it was going to work not for me but for the stations per se and I realized then that once I was finished with Channel 9 which went in the early 80s again I thought what am I going to do with my life and it was there was another sliding door moment when I thought is he die still well known in Queensland and all over the all over the northern area of Australia Okay, maybe you should go there because that's where live music was opening up. Mm. It was was very stagnant for a while. And all of a sudden, all over Queensland and northern New South Wales and into Sydney, this is not happening in Melbourne, remember, because we had a different government here and we're still suppressed here for entertainment. But up there, the holiday seasons, all of a sudden they said, Izzy Dye, would you like to come up here and perform? And I'm thinking, hang on a minute, they're asking me to perform there, but I can't get a gig in Melbourne. Okay. So I decided to move there. So my wife and I moved to the Gold Coast, oh, had the two children up there, up there, and for 15 years, it was amazing. Absolutely fantastic. It went from, from doing a few shows to touring all over the country again, and all of a sudden, I'd reinvented myself, and the rock and roll came, and that's how it went. And it kind of sounds a bit <laughs> like you were in, like, survival mode, what's oh, next? Oh, absolutely. But nowadays, it's called entrepreneurial. Look, it's, it, now, fortunately, you know, you look back on it now, and I think, wow, I did that, and, then, and it was exciting, and all that was great, but in the end, um, I was still much, much younger then. I mean, I was in my own, I was only late 30s, early 40s. Now that I'm in my, you know, early 70s I look back and I think oh my god I really did that and it it worked but in saying that there was all look I'm I'm a person who doesn't get depressed I don't suffer for any from any illnesses or anything like that I'm like as in depressions or or if something goes down that's bad you know I deal with it probably by yelling and screaming and then then I get on with the job so I've never had that oh my god no one loves me no one wants to work with me I I, I hate the world I've never had that what's next what's next what's my daughter Bianca is the same as that she is exactly like that because radio people as you know if if their ratings are down up and then so she has to be get off get up and going and that's probably what my, my two kids uh, as well bank uh, alex and ben they they have a similar outlook on my obviously seeing their father although they're not in showbiz but i've taught them the same thing if something goes down and it's pretty crappy you know get up and go for it okay it's hard come Absolutely. up with what's next yeah, come up with what's next or, or or you know try and deal with it and and move on i mean it, there's no question you, you can't be uh 24 7 perfect it's not going to ever happen but it, there's always the chitty times it's, that happen and the yeah. next minute good times happen and uh, i think you live for the good times and you work through the bad times you know to make sure i think that's absolutely part of, part of it, you, know? you but you well maybe you won't be amazed at how many people don't work that way how many people really um, don't know what don't know that simply by asking yourself what do I get to do next yes. that takes you to the next place 
it's yes. far greater value than saying, gosh, what went wrong or why did that happen? Yep. Who cares what the answer is? Look, it's it hard just because did. you're dealing with people, so you're dealing with emotions and, and other people and things that you're dealing with. And, and uh, if, if it's something that you've done to yourself, you can sort of deal with it. But let's say you've done something that's bad and you feel really bad, you've done something to someone else or, or you've affected other people's lives, that's when it's you've got that's when it's harder to deal with and that's when you have to be really tough you know st- strong and I mean look everyone has you know terrible things happen to their lives families pass away something happens badly you know you lose yeah. your family and, and you lost your dad when you were yep. quite young I was only 25 my father because he was only 57 and it was crazy I mean there he was you know the, the the guy I looked up to and the man who came from the holocaust and went through all that being a doctor in the in the Polish army and and going through all of the ghettos and the, and the, you know the terrible tragedies that happened over there and and being part of the Schindler's List and all that stuff and yet he came back to us you know when we finally came to Australia and it changed changed our whole lives of course which was tremendous it was fantastic to be here. How did he little, get to Australia? Well, he was the chairman of the of the DP camp, the chairman of the of the uh, after the ghetto the camp in Austria. So when we when we uh, when we went, well, my parents came from Poland, and of course they went to Austria, and they they only just met in the war, and then they went to to Austria. I was born in Bargastein, which is near Salzburg, and uh, at the, the end of the three or four years that we were in in Bargastein, uh, my father said was offered, look, where would you like to go in the, in the world? And he said, what's the furthest place from here that Jewish people live? And the guy, people said, well, you can go either to America or there's this place called Melbourne, Australia. Oh, okay. So, of course, he chose Melbourne. Yes, and, so that's uh, that's what, that's, and that's a lot of Jewish people did that. And many, many people in Melbourne came up to tell me how my father helped save their lives in the times of the, of the uh, during the Holocaust. Holocaust. Uh, he was uh, in charge of so many things. And I, I, we We'd have people banging on our doors at all hours of the morning in Melbourne wanting uh, treatment from my father, who was not at that time was not allowed to to be a, um, a practicing doctor in Australia. He was working for the CSIRO and doing that, but. Everybody, the, the, our Jewish friends would never worry about that. They would just come over and he would treat them in our lounge room for free. <laughs> he knew. That was what he was like. And he was an incredible person, an amazing man, you know, that was amazing. Brothers and sisters? Two sisters. One passed away. She was only forty-six and had mm. breast cancer, and uh, that was a terrible tragedy. That was in the in the nineties, and uh, but has got four beautiful Israeli children. Went to Israel, married an Israeli. Gorgeous. I've got breast cancer over there, unfortunately, but passed away then. But has got four grown-up, thirty odd year old, thirty-five year old children, gorgeous children, and already have got their own children now. So uh, great, a nice uh, legacy, fantastic. But um, unfortunately, uh, and but my other sister Rita, she lives in Melbourne and has got three gorgeous children. So you know, Very yeah, nice. we see each other all the time, and she's a Caulfield girl like you. <laughs> all the girls are Caulfield. Jewish uh, Caulfield girl. The, we're living in the. The ghetto right area. in the heart of no, the ghetto. That's, right, that's what we say, and uh, it's great, great. Izzy, and you had your mum for quite a while. She mm. passed uh, just recently, just a couple of years recently. ago. She was nearly ninety, and uh, look, she was a lucky girl because um, you know, again, she came out of the Holocaust uh, with uh, was. It was probably my father that saved her life because at the time she wasn't feeling too good, and he made her. 
going to the hospital, this is like before the, the liberation, and, and, and told the, the uh, German uh, guards that, that uh, she was very sick and wasn't able to be moved anywhere. And he would go in there and constantly be watching over her over the weeks and whatever it was. And of course, um, you know, by the time it was the time for the liberation, luckily uh, they got back together again and escaped together and uh, the rest was history. Otherwise, I wouldn't be here. Otherwise, you wouldn't <laughs> be here. That's right. And I was a little curly-haired Jewish boy with long, 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 long hair when I came to Australia. And everybody afro? said to my mother, you've got a beautiful daughter because <laughs> my hair was down below my shoulders, way down, curly hair. And, uh, of course, in those days, you know, it was not unusual for over Do there. Do I remember an afro correctly Oh, well, that's, well? No, that was already in the 70s, the when, 70s. I, when I, I did my own afro hair. But, <laughs> but when I was a little little three or four-year-old coming out to Australia, five years old, yeah, I was just a, a long hair with little the little uh, later holes on me, and uh, wow, oh, you yes, have those photos. <laughs> absolutely, I've got the photos of that. And of course, all the kids said to my mother, all the people said to my mother, "Oh, you got a lovely daughter." And so she went, <laughs> and so along. yep. And then I went to Brighton Road State School down here with all my Jewish friends and other friends, all my other woggy friends, as I said. And uh, yeah, they, I had my hair cut short then because I had to like <laughs> I wanted to fit in. I didn't want to be that 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 you know him from there but I must admit many of my Jewish friends came from all over Poland and all over the place that had landed at uh, in St Kilda and we all went to school together so and I still know many some have passed away but many of them are still around and I still get to see them which which is great you know yeah those friendships that you have for a long time are really important tell me about do you have it sounds like you have a lot of very long long oh absolutely look even even my uh, my just people like my solicitor that I've known now for 60 odd years and he's still my solicitor today you know I wasn't a solicitor then when I knew him we were young and uh, and people from school and of course I went to school Mount Scopus College and I was uh, uh, I was in the same not the year, same year, but I was in the same group, let's say the same three or four year group with people like Jeffrey Edelston and Solomon Liu and the Portman family and, and the, the Goldblooms and all the people that I grew up with. And they started, they were much more into the business than my father and I. We were, my father was a doctor, so knew nothing about business. But all of a sudden, I'm at school with all these people from Schmattis and the rag trade and, and doctors and all these people, yeah, and their families. So it was, a, as I said, it was a learning. What does it take to maintain these long-term relationships? Because it does change. There's school and then there's, you know, you're single and then you're married, whatever. What does it take to maintain? I reckon probably one of the good things is not to see them too often. I think so. I reckon that is one of the things because it's, look, don't get me wrong, I mix with people and I love to see them all the time. It's great. But mostly when you see people once every year or a couple of times a year or three or four times a year, you've got things to talk about. Oh, what have you been doing? I'm not one of these who goes fishing with my best friends or plays golf and I see them every week. It's not me. I travel too much and uh, and most of the friends of mine that are involved in, whether they're showbiz people or they're involved in uh, in uh, whatever their lives that they've got, I find that it's much more interesting if I see them every now and then. We still love to talk. We still know each other. We still love each other, but it's nice to so have that. So those connections are sort of made and continued internally. I think so. Oh, absolutely. Oh, I think that's internally because I'm not one who lives out of someone else's pocket and, you know, it's just never been my, my forte. I guess also because of showbiz, it's so flighty. You're there one day. I mean, let's put it this way. Most people have functions on weekends. Most people. Izzy Dye works every weekend. weekend so. Of course. 
No, I never get invited to anything. Or I mean, everyone says, "Oh, can you come next Saturday? We're having a party. Can you come next Friday night? We're having, we're having a Sunday afternoon." Look, I'd love to, but I'm in Queensland. Oh, I'd love to. I'm in Adelaide. Oh, I'd love to. I'm in Tasmania. This is what happened for years. So they would all go, "Oh, don't invite him. That Schmendrick is not coming." So in the end, I real they realised this is all the friends that I dealt with and that I still know today. My best days are on Monday night. Oh, do you want to go out for dinner together? Oh, Tuesday night. Let's go for dinner. So it does take a special person that wants to go out for dinner or meal or talk on a Tuesday because it's not their day off. So you know what I mean, whereas it's my day off. So what you're also saying is that when you do bump into those people from way back when, there's both of you feel that connection with each other because you knew each other when life was simpler and real. I don't think we need to, you know, we're, when you're with people that you know and you and you and you get on with them and they, they know you since you were a little kid, you can't you can't bullshit to them. Yeah. They know everything and they know about you. They know what you were like at school, what you were doing after school, when you were at university, what you were like here, when you did your first song, when you had your bar mitzvah, when you had your you know your circumcision, whatever. They they know it all, so you can't lie to them. So they're the people you get on with. Yeah. Uh, my, my very good friend Jake Kowicki, who is a former solicitor, just retired now, and um, yeah, I've known him forever. As I said, he's, he's been my mate for years. I mean, if I don't see him, for, if I happen not to see him for 12 months, if I happen not to, the next day, it's the same as I haven't seen him since yesterday. Yes. Yes. We'd sit and talk, hey, go, oh, yeah, we're going to talk about that and yesterday. So to me, it's the connection. Yeah. And especially with, I know personally also with friends in all over the world, actually, I was going it's not just Los Angeles. Yeah. You st- when it's real between people, you maintain that connection. And so they don't think of anything, they don't think badly of it. They don't know your good, bad, and your ugly part, and they don't care, and they teach you as you are. See, it's different when you're, you know, because remember with showbiz, as you yes. know, I'm dealing with people from an arm's length. People see you, they, they love you on show. I have that today, people come up to me, oh, we love your music, I love you, I've known you for years, I've seen you on TV, thank you very much, can we have a photo together? Fantastic, I love all that. But it's not the real world. Yes. The real world is what I'm doing, you know, like, like life, you know. So, and I know people love to come to see a show to, to, to they're getting away from their reality. They're coming to see somebody perform Jolson or Rock and Roll or Johnny O'Keefe or Elvis, and they're, they're coming to enjoy that, and you're the purveyor of of that so you're sort of there as the like going to the theater you know yes. you go and see a famous actor like uh, you know who uh, any of our famous actors uh, that are bit that you see on television and you see them live on stage once they like jeffrey rush these guys when you see them I'm, i mean i know jeffrey i've met with him i've had dinner with so not to know i've had uh, the drinks with him and talked to him and and he's such a lovely guy but but you can see that he, he even though he likes me he's not going to connect with me he's just going to i'm a distant thing to him him. He's an actor who will be performing all different things and I'm just one more person that he's met. I'm not part of his inner circle. You know and that's what understandable. Yes, but real people recognise real people. Oh, well, yeah. That's, that's the bottom line. So, listen, what was it about your current wife, Janice, mm. that made you decide to give this marriage thing another shot? Probably because she's not Jewish. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, there you go. She's a good was Catholic that the, girl. Was that the no, man? No, 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 it's not true. But uh, look, well, I, there's I a little bit of truth in it there as well is. because I was around when Jewish boys didn't want to date oh, Jewish look, girls. It's not, and I say. understand. Oh, you get it. But the thing is, it's not so much that. It's more that uh, if, if I'd have met somebody, whoever it might have been, and whether they were yeah. you know, Jew, Jewish or Greek or whatever they were, I would have been fine. And it just happened that I met this girl you know, such a long time ago. And it wasn't even so much meeting her. It's connection. You, yes. you get to know someone and you think, well, I like this person. And then that's a nice person I wouldn't mind spending time with. And, and obviously time starts at, from the beginning and then a month goes by and two months and six months and a year. And you think, oh, this is interesting you know they're, they're connecting with me i'm getting to know the family they're getting to know me and they're getting to know my my side i get to know them and if you didn't like it then you can easily step out and say oh thanks very much or they can say goodbye see you later but you know one thing steps on another and you start liking what you're seeing and we, we look probably janice and i we do love doing things together always we she'll love to go to theaters that i do shows Travel, we love travel. So, you know, if probably if I was like some of the other friends of mine who say, we go fishing and golfing with our mates, mm. the wives stay home and, uh, you know, they do their thing. It's a different kind of relationship. I don't do that. See, I, I mean, I've never done that in all my years. We never do that. It's just, it's just not been me. We love doing things together. I'm not, not saying that we want to be together 24-7. I can easily go away for two or three weeks but, touring. You know, being no comfortable with someone. Absolutely. Yeah, I think it around. makes it. And, and also you've got to like the person. So apart from loving them and you know having fun with them because you're having you're you're, you're married together or, or you're you're having a relationship together, but you've got to like your partner. You know, you've got to get on yes, with them and yeah, like them. Yeah, and then, yeah, yeah. If you like them, everything is easy. Did you, know? you did you run her past the first wife and child? No, not really, because by the time I'd split with my first wife, uh, it was it was it was ten years before I got married. After that, so it was a long dead time, and uh, I, I'd already spent oh at least four years or something, a long time before I met Janice. You know, quite a few years, and of course. My daughter was growing up at that time, so next minute she's had two mummies. You know, one with me, I hadn't been married yet, but we were living together, and her real mum. So she had two mummies. You know, of course, we brought but her she up for a while. Well, she was, yeah, she was great, but at the same time, you're not my mummy, my real mummy's there, and you had to put up with that thing. And, and, and when the new kids came along? Well, yeah, it was difficult. Absolutely. I wouldn't say it wasn't difficult, but uh, at first it was like, oh, you could see the jealousy there like any other child who's already a teenager and the babies have come. But now, oh, my God, they're the best. The three of them are unbelievable. They're thick as thieves. You know, they go travel, you know, they, whenever they can, they travel together or they meet up together or they, she flies down or they fly up. So it's a, you know, you she never calls them their stepsisters or brothers. Just sisters. The, yeah, that's it. That's, that's it. It's, it's family and we get it. You know, okay, she still has her mother alive, so obviously that's her mum, yeah. and Janice is her stepmom, and that, that's fine. But the brothers and sisters, it's just like, because of their, for me as well, they're, they're, just, they're just like brothers and sisters, and she treats them as uh, blood, mm. which they are. Do you remember how you dealt with it back then, to have this great outcome at this well, stage? Well, it was pretty heavy. Oh, it was hard. Oh, absolutely. It was was it hard because you felt guilty, or was it hard no, because you really didn't know what to do? No, what I didn't know the... what to do. Because I wasn't guilty. didn't feel guilty because I was having my relationship. I was having my relationship, you know, we learned. I was 
realizing that now that I'm in my 30s, you know, it's time for me to uh, you know find somebody that I do like to spend my life with. I don't, I didn't want to be living on my own. Apart from anything else, I wasn't thinking, oh, I've got to have a mar- marriage. I didn't think that, but I thought, hang on a minute, I don't want to be living by myself in my 40s and 50s. I'd like to have a partner. Who am I? And I wasn't out looking for someone. It just happened. Somebody introduced me to, her and one thing led to another, and and you know it took a long time to the, for the relationship to, to cement. I mean, years to cement. It took 10 years to get married. From the time I met her, it was 10 years till I married her. So that was a long time so to it wasn't be really engaged. A, <laughs> so it no, wasn't really a click in your brain. It was just no. realising you were comfortable enough to do it. Plus I was working a lot, touring and travelling. And, you know, you, you know, Janice had to sort of cop with that, that she had her own place. And, you know, we've, we're sort of we have, having weekends and that together and there and going to the shows and, and look again it became a respect and uh, an understanding between us and by the time we realised that, you know, that when she was going to move in after eight years or something like that I kept begging her please move in please move in and oh no I don't know whether really you know whether I should really move into that situation she was worried about it let me tell you clever girl oh, clever girl clever girl but you know look the good thing about it is that um, we, we're, we're so totally different as in I'm a typical Gemini crazy as I am and my wife is a very liberal person that, that type of she what what shall I say she is misprocrastination oh really oh yes she will take a long time to make a decision whereas me oh, instant well oh, I, I think, think I'll buy that house I went over and bought a house in one morning I didn't even want to buy a house and I went and bought a house that was wow. what I was like but my wife if I ever said that to her she would kill me she would say now, hang on I want to buy this car no, let's go and look at 30 cars and we'll decide which one well, say, women well, just I like, like this car women just like shopping that's true yes <laughs> that, which is I'm, exactly what you don't I like. just spent a couple of minutes with her the other night but I <laughs> I was really impressed. Well, she was the she was the sales manager for Esprit Fashions in wow. London. So she was right into the fashion scene and worked with in Bieber's in London. And uh, actually, she went for five, six so years. She in really London. had her own. I loved it. That's probably why my daughter Alex is living in London because uh, at the same time when Janice was twenty and in her early twenties, she went to live five, six years in London, learned the, the, the fashion scene and loved it, and really only came back to Melbourne because her parents were getting elderly and she was they were worried and. So she said, look, I'll come back for a few months. And next minute, a guy called John Bell, who was a very well-known fashion guy from Esprit, and and a guy called Mark Chawinski, who was from Cherry Lane, they all offered her a a great job to stay on. I I didn't know this because I'd not met her then. And then I met her through some friends at at Esprit and, and, and at the... Chases when we were dancing the disco. I said, I know you, I've seen you before. And she said, I don't go out with showbiz people. That's what she said. So it did take a long time. Very cool. She's cool. Izzy, do you have anything else that's being concocted in your mind for the future? Look, I take one day at a time. As far as I'm concerned, I'm just happy to keep rocking. And you know, already now, I've probably got about, I've got about a hundred shows booked in advance now for the next twelve months at the moment. And uh, so, there's no reality to. There's no. I know what's the word. There's no. Um, I haven't got any uh, long term uh, ideas. All I want, to, especially because I'm in my seventies now, and who knows how long I can keep going. Sure, at the moment. 
I'm, I'm okay, I'm going to the gym, I'm fit, I'm doing all those things, but you never know what's around the corner. You can't Absolutely. Help. You have an accident, something happens, you get cancer, who knows? So at the moment, as long as I can see in the distance from future, I'm still enjoying what I'm doing, but I'm still happy for every day. Let me tell you, when I get up and I go to the gym and I work out, I think, oh my God, thank God I was able to get through today. Well, that really, truly is the very <laughs> best attitude, and that's what Lily High on Life is all about. That's great, when Just you've done it. Realizing that how wonderful life is right here, right now, right now. Yep, because we can't do anything about yesterday, we're not sure about tomorrow. So, all we've got is right, right now, now, absolutely. Izzy, thank you so much. Oh, it's a pleasure. We haven't had time for another song or anything. This has been absolutely wonderful and delightful. Thank you, darling. And I hope all those listeners out there don't think too badly of me. <laughs> not possible right at now. all. Okay.